today on the Emmaus Institute for Disciple Making podcast. We're going to be joining Pastor Brian and Bo Bray as they look to answer the question, what is discipleship in their series, Gospel-Centered Discipleship? In case you missed it, if you weren't with us last week, this is Bo. I'm Brian. Um, And we did record ourselves last week, so if you missed it, you can listen back. We did send that out. We'll do our best to do that every week if, uh, if the interns get edited on time, then we can get it sent out to you. But uh, uh, we'll do what we can. But last week was all uh, intro stuff to this course. So uh, big picture, why are we taking this class? We sort of explained to you the, the reason we do summer specials at Emmaus in general are, are, are really two big reasons. One, we want to grow as followers of Jesus, understand what it, what it looks like. <clears throat> to grow in our knowledge of Scripture and how to apply the Bible to life. Um, and then the second reason we do these is to help you guys meet some new friends and to increase our community at our church. A church is not a building, it's a people. And if you don't know each other, you can't fulfill all the commandments in Scripture that we're supposed to be doing to one another. There's a lot of commands from Jesus and from Paul and, and from Scripture uh, about love one another, serve one another, one another, one another. Over and over again through the epistles, you're going to see that. and if you don't know each other, you can't do any of those things. So uh, I want to encourage you guys to, to make some friends through this, this class. Uh, the people you meet, invite them to your house for dinner. Invite yourself to their house for dinner. All that kind of stuff is good. But then we also told you our class, we have a secret third mission, which is really to uh, further disciple-making, discipleship here at our church, to see God, by His grace, uh, raise up more leaders who will obey the Great Commission where God called us all to make disciples of other people. And uh, it's not a task for pastors. It's not this super class of Christians that are called to disciple other people. It's all of us. That Great Commission was entrusted to the church, the original 12 leaders of the church, but it's the mission of all of us, the global church of Christ, to go and make disciples of, of all peoples everywhere. And so as part of that, it's not... Uh, it's, it's not something reserved for other people. The call to disciple others is, is a call for all of us that we are called to step into. So uh, I, I hope to see you guys step into that through the, this class. That would be our goal. Um, and we uh, sort of ended the class. Uh, Bo led us through some of the stuff from the book. You may have read it if you, if you read our, our content for this week. But what is a disciple? Does anybody remember the definition we gave you, which is Dodson's definition? We really liked it. Uh, but anybody remember off the top of your head or from your notes, I'll let you cheat. Um, what is a disciple? You went like the three parts? Yeah. I think it was relational, rational, and missional. Yes. Ab- well done. Five stars. Five, five points. Uh, five heaven points. Um, yeah, I, I don't have... Scripture gives me no authority to give those out, by the way, so that's just for fun. But... Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think that's what got the Catholic Church in trouble and created the Reformation. But, uh, but yeah, his, his word-for-word definition was a disciple is a follower of Jesus who seeks to know him. That's the relational part. Have a relationship with Jesus. Know him intimately. Follow him closely. So know him. Learn from him. That's the rational part, the academic part, learning from Jesus. There should be like, like growth in your mind and your understanding of who he is and what it means to follow him. And then... Uh, to serve him as well. That's the missional piece. So uh, not just knowing him, not just uh, learning from him, but, but actually obeying what he teaches us. Um, and then we sort of concluded with this call to uh, abandon casual Christianity. There's no such thing in the Bible as a casual Christian. A follower of Jesus is a sincere follower of Jesus that, that fruit's growing out of. In fact, Jesus at many points when he was warning about false teachers and false Uh, false disciples, he would point to fruitfulness. He would say, you'll know who is really my disciple by their fruitfulness. You'll be able to look at them just like you look at a a fig tree, uh, just like you look at a a grapevine. He makes the point, you can go read this in in Matthew chapter 6, but he says, can can figs grow from a grapevine? No. Uh, The the fruit is how you tell what kind of a, a tree, what kind of a plant it is. Um, the same is true for us. We should be people who are growing in our knowledge of, of God, who are increasingly, year by year, demonstrating greater maturity, greater fruitfulness as followers of Jesus. There should be uh, disciple-making happening at some point. If you have 
followed God for 30 years and you've never invested in discipling others, I'm telling you, you're plateaued as a believer. You will hit a place where you stop growing yourself because you're not being obedient to what God's commanded you. So uh, that was really where we landed the plane at the end of last week. And, and tonight's really all about uh, the next step, which is really not, not just what is a disciple, but what is discipleship? What does it mean to make disciples? What's that process look like? So that's, that's our goal for tonight. That's where we're going to jump into. But before we do any of that, let me just pray for us, pray for our time, and uh, ask God to open our minds and prepare our hearts and, and uh, be ready to receive from Him. So, God, we love you, and we are grateful for opportunities like this, summer specials, Lord, to sit around uh, a room and to put our minds to your scriptures, Lord, to good books from other disciples, Lord, and to understand what it means to follow you more closely. And I just pray for the next uh, hour as we sit under uh, your word, as we give it authority and sway in our lives, Lord, I pray you'd teach us. I pray we would have hearts of good soil, soft soil that would receive your word with joy, that would allow it to, to penetrate deep to the parts of our heart that uh, that it must go for it to grow into fruitfulness in the days to come. Lord, I pray that you would take some of us in this room deeper than we've ever gone before in our walk with you, Lord, to a, to a place of, of true intimacy that results in true fruitfulness in our walk um, in this life. So guide our time. Uh, help me and Bo to speak truthfully from your word, and uh, let, us, let us grow together as we study. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, so our big question tonight, what is discipleship? Uh, this is what we're going to seek to answer as, as we talk through this. And if you read the book already, you might have the definition. But I want to start by you not giving the book answer and just uh, put that out of your mind for a second. And I want you to just try it as much as possible, come on with a fresh mind. Um, and I want to write some of these answers down. But uh, what is Discipleship. What does it mean, the process of growing as a follower of Jesus? What does that look like? I want to get some of your responses, and I'm going to write them on the board. So what do you think it means? What does discipleship mean? Anybody? I'm yeah, Chris. I'm incorporate it with a real-world improvement like Kaizen, continuous improvement. Okay, continuous improvement. I like it. Cultivating a relationship, so growing, cultivating, growing relationship. Somebody else? Teaching and learning. I'm going to make those separate things if that's okay. Learning, teaching, gathering together, gathering together. not being afraid to fail. Um, what would, what's another way to phrase that? Not being afraid to fail. fail uh, courageous obedience. Can, can I rephrase that? Is that all right? Shepherding. Shepherding. Anything else? Reflecting. Unpack that a little bit more. Um, reflecting Christ. So like showing him to the world around us? Is that what you mean? Or, or like... In action, in yeah, yeah. Image bearer. Yeah, imitating, kind of. Imitating Christ. That's great. Imitating. I'm sorry if you can't read this. I apologize. Anybody else? Anything else come to mind? You think something's lacking from this list? Life on life. Yeah. Life sharing, life on life. Pursuit. Pursuing Jesus, can we say? Or others. Okay. That's kind of where I was. Pursuing others, that's great. All right. Prayer. Prayer. Elder Bill. That's the correct answer, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk more about that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You get double heaven points. Yeah. <laughs> This is great, yeah. Um, and this is this is usually the kind of answers that that we receive when we ask this question. This is what I expected. Um, all all right. None of them are. Would I say is is incorrect? Um, but if you notice, most of the time when we think about the idea of discipleship, these answers usually will fall into two categories. I'll see if they did. Um, the first category would be like. Um, 
reaching others. So sort of like evangelism, seeing others come into faith. So pursuing others would definitely be that. I'm going to put ease by the ones that I would call evangelistic. Which other ones would you say are like pursuing others, uh, evangelism, seeing other people's come to faith? Yeah, shepherding. I'm going to save that one because that's very clearly in the other category, um, if you will. The other category would be um, what I would call, dis- I guess you could say discipleship, but like holiness, growing in your maturity, growing as an individual. So not necessarily reaching out to others, but you personally, individually growing as a follower of the Lord. And we'll, we'll, we'll use the word discipleship because people often think about it that way. But, um, but that's most of the rest of these. Um, that one for sure. Cultivating growing relationship with Christ yourself. That would be discipleship, learning, following the Lord more closely. Yeah, pretty much the rest of these fall into the, these two categories. And this is the way um, the church has actually often thought about discipleship. They viewed it almost as a whole separate category from evangelism. So um, actually, I used to work for uh, the Georgia Baptist Convention. And we had an evangelism department that, whose goal was to help Georgia Baptist churches, Southern Baptist churches in our state, know how to reach more people to Christ, help them come into the family of God. Then there was also a separate discipleship department, one that focused on how, helping churches learn how to, how to grow their people in godliness, how to, how to be more mature followers of Jesus themselves. So we've sort of, uh, in, in church life, in the church mind, split these two things apart. We talked about this briefly last week, but I want to get more into it this week because I think it's going to help us understand what we mean. You know, this class is titled Gospel-Centered Discipleship, and I really want to help you understand the difference between discipleship that might be in your brain and what we mean when we say gospel-centered discipleship. So um, this dichotomy, this splitting of evangelism and discipleship into two camps has been common in the church for a very long time, and you even might in your head view those things as separate, right? Like you, you want to see people come to faith, uh, you want to see them get saved and, and trust Jesus, and that's like step one. But then after they're saved, you also want to see them grow, right? Like you, you want to set them on the right track as well. Um, the problem with this, there's a lot of problems with this. Pull out your note sheet if you want to take perfect uh, notes and fill in your blanks in your type A like me. Two big problems with this breakdown. Uh, if you read the book, you saw these clearly. But number one, it restricts the utility of the gospel to conversion, Let me explain what that means. It shrinks the role of the gospel, the cross, Jesus dying for us, to evangelism only. And you basically end up thinking, well, the gospel is your way into faith. That's what gets you into the church, into the family of God. But now we need to grow you up. You know, so you begin to, by by splitting evangelism and discipleship into two categories, you begin to limit the role of the gospel, the utility of the gospel, into that first section, just the entryway into Christianity. Um, uh, how many of you have thought this way before, or at least seen that thinking in the church, right? Like this is, this, this is common. You know, and you sort of, even yourself, you're like, oh, I already put my faith in Jesus. So now I'm dealing with sin. I'm dealing with issues. I want to be sanctified. I want to grow more. I need something else. I need a new secret to grow. Um, this, this is very common. When you, when you split them apart in your mind into two camps, this is, this is what happens. The second big reason why this is a problem uh, is because it excuses partial obedience to Christ. It excuses partial obedience to Christ. So if you believe discipleship is just winning people to Jesus, then you'll never disciple them. You'll never see them grow and learn to obey everything Jesus has commanded them. You'll go see them be baptized. You might, you might view discipleship just as that evangelism piece, and so you'll You'll see people come to faith, but you won't see them grow. Or vice versa, you might think, oh, no, the only, what Jesus meant in the Great Commission is make disciples, see, save people grow. And so you'll have really mature people in the church, but nobody's ever discipling others, seeing new people come into the place. Churches sometimes fall into this, this uh, one of these two categories. You'll have churches whose whole philosophy of ministry is getting lost people in the pews. Everything they do is focused on that as an effort. Because that's what they view when Jesus said, go and make disciples. They're like, yeah, we got to get them in here. They view their calling as evangelistic. Other churches might fall in the other, uh, 
you know, spectrum where they would say, no, the goal is to grow in uh, holiness. So we're not so focused on trying to get new people in this body. We're trying to just grow. And it ends up looking like this. I think people can... Anybody like a good X and Y axis? Um, axis. We did this last time on whiteboards. Our whiteboard last time was huge. It was. This is like a little baby whiteboard. This is tough. Okay, so um, this says personal holiness for those who, who can see it. Some people think growing as a disciple looks like this. We want to grow in holiness. Other people view it, we want to reach others. Mission. We want to see evangelism happen, more people come into the faith. And like I'm saying, when you split these apart, you just view one without the other. You don't see them together. You are restricting the gospel just to this, basically to this entry point. And then you focus all your efforts on these other things. Um, but that's not what the Bible talks about when, it, when it's calling us to go and make disciples. It's not talking about just seeing people come in for the first time only. And it's not talking about just growing the saved people up. It's talking about a holistic approach where both are integrated, um, which the book calls gospel-centered discipleship. So what's the answer if it's not just evangelism or discipleship? The book calls it gospel-centered discipleship. And, and I think if I'm going to sum up what Dodson's saying, he doesn't use these three categories, but I think gospel-centered discipleship, what we want you to embody as you seek to make disciples are these three things. So you've got blanks for these. Number one, gospel-centered discipleship believes in the sufficiency of the gospel. So it believes wholeheartedly, totally strongly in the sufficiency of the gospel. Not just as sufficient to save the lost, but also to sanctify the saved. So the gospel being the key, the sufficiency, the thing that's effective for not just saving us, but for growing us in holiness as well, right? I don't think any of you in this room would question that the, the gospel is sufficient to save us. We know that that's true. We know we, we're a gospel-centered church. We seek to preach the gospel as often as we can, include it in every sermon, point to the fact that we're only saved by Jesus' finished work on the cross for us. We're not saved by performing to God. We're not saved by good works before the Lord. We're saved because Jesus died for us. We need a Redeemer. Our sins are such that we need a Redeemer to come and, and pay for our sin and provide His righteousness for us that we can be justified before God. So we believe that that's what saves us. You know, this is Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. The gospel is what saved. We all know that. But I think there's a lot of people, even people at this church, even maybe a lot of you in this room that don't believe the gospel is sufficient for sanctifying you. But I'm telling you right now, true discipleship, understanding how to disciple people well, means understanding clearly the gospel is sufficient and effective for sanctifying you as well. There's not a magic second bullet that you need to a new medicine you need to start taking after you get saved that's going to cause you to grow in holiness and begin to get sin out of your life. It's the same thing that started. You still need a Savior. It's always the gospel from start to end. And the book of Galatians shows this so powerfully. If you study the New Testament epistles and really begin to look at, at Paul and his writings, one of the things you'll see over and over again is that this is an issue that the early church had as well. And most of his letters are written to churches trying to teach them, don't move on from the gospel. Stay in the gospel. Don't try to add something new to it. Go back to the gospel where you started and live there. Um, and Galatians is, is probably the place where this is most clear. Um, he, he wrote the uh, letters to the church of Galatia. He had started this church, had poured into them, had, uh, had seen them come to faith in Jesus. Um, but then he left and some people called the Judaizers came in and they were telling the Galatian people, yes, trusting in Jesus is what saves you, but now we need to go back to the law of the Old Testament. We need to stop eating pork again. We need to, to go back to the cleanliness rituals of Leviticus. We need to start practicing all these things if we really want to be holy before God. They're trying to add onto the gospel saying, yeah, faith in, faith in Jesus is good, but now you really got to work. You got to do performance-based stuff if you really want God to uh, approve of you. And Paul writes the whole letter of Galatians back to them to say, no, you are out of your mind. And in fact, if you read it, He's pretty rough with the Galatian people. This is a kind of, a, he, gets, he gets mean at a few points. In fact, I'll, I'll read you one of them. Look at Galatians chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, flip there. 
Galatians 1 and 2, he sort of recaps the gospel, reminds them that they're justified by faith. And in chapter 3, he gets to his big point. And uh, look, look at the words he uses in verses 1 through 3 of Galatians chapter 3. He says this, O foolish Galatians. What a good way to, to, to talk to people, right? O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish now then? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You see, he's saying exactly what I'm saying here. The Galatian people were moving on from Christ, trying to now be perfected in their flesh, sanctified by their own works rather than remaining and trusting in Jesus. And, and, and Paul makes the point over and over again in his epistles, that's not going to work. You don't move on from the gospel, you stay there. You still need a Savior. I think this is so important, even for all of us in this room to hear. Like, when we started summer special sign-ups, like there's seven different classes. You know, you probably looked through the little booklet to see which class you wanted to sign up for as well. All of us on staff were like sort of trying to guess which class is going to have the most people, which what, what will people be most interested in. And it was pretty funny for us to all guess and see. But uh, as things turned out, the class that had the most interest was the one that's downstairs in the classroom right now, the class on sanctification that was titled Freedom, How the Cross Rescues Us. And the paragraph description for that class was something like this. I don't remember the exact words that we settled on, but it was something to the effect of, uh, are you following Jesus but still experiencing things like anxiety and persistent anger and addiction and loneliness and not able to experience the abundant life that Christ promised? Do you long for the freedom that Christ beckons us into? If so, come. We're going to explore what it means to really experience that freedom through the cross. And more people read that paragraph and signed up for that class than any, other, than any of the other ones. And for me as a pastor, it, it broke my heart a little bit. In a very real way, I was excited that people are going to be hearing from, from Bill Franklin, a great, great leader, great teacher. I've been a pastor for like 40 years. He's an older guy. You know, you're, you're sitting down with your grandpa hearing from him. So you've got to be prepared for an older teacher. Um, but I can't wait to release his recordings out on podcast or something like that. I hope you guys, if you deal with any addiction issues or anxiety issues, you'll listen to it because it's gold. But guess what he's teaching downstairs? He's not telling them, hey, you know what the solution to anxiety is? Xanax. <laughs> you know what the solution to your anger is? Breathing deeply. He's not teaching them that. You know what the, the entire first week was about? Colossians chapter 1 talking about how in Christ all of creation holds together. He spent 40 minutes talking about the bigness of Christ and His Word, helping people have a bigger idea of who Christ is and how great of a rescuer He is. At His Word, the earth was created. At His Word, your problems can be fixed. He, as soon as He set His mind on calming that storm, remember when the disciples were all freaked out, Jesus was asleep in the boat, storms just raging around Him. The moment Jesus says, calm, what happened? It calmed. Bill's pointing them back to Christ, the Savior that can actually fix our problems. We can't fit. We're not going to sanctify and cleanse ourselves. It's Christ who does. In gospel-centered discipleship, when you seek to help others grow in their knowledge of Jesus, guess what you need to not do? You don't need to say, okay, you want to be mature? Go to seminary. You want to be mature? Start reading these theology books. What you do is say, you want to be mature? Get on your knees before Jesus, before the cross, and understand just how big it is that Jesus in love would come for you, come for your sin. How, how big it is that Jesus right now is standing at the right hand of God interceding for you. Understanding the Savior Jesus that we have, the gospel that He provides for us, that's where true redemption, true sanctification is found. We all need to go back to the gospel and learn it a little bit better. That's where growth will happen. Uh, and, and this is exactly what... Um, I'm not going to go too long, though, I promise. Hold on. In God's providence. So. <laughs> he gave, that is like a minute timer. That's I not know, fair. Right. Grab your Bibles and flip to Romans chapter 7 real quick. I will fly through points 2 and 3. 
but I want to make sure you understand this. This is like the center, you know, this class is called Gospel-Centered Discipleship. This is the center, what we're talking about right now. You cannot miss this. Romans chapter 7, yeah. If you're familiar with Romans, you'll know this part of Romans really well. Uh, This is the moment where Paul is really frustrated with his sinful nature. So he talks about, if you just glance through uh, verses 15 through basically 20, you're going to see Paul say over and over again, I do not understand myself. I want to follow God, and then I find myself not doing what I want to do. I want to do what's right, but I cannot do what I want to do. And what I don't want to do, that's what I do. He just like repeats himself over and over again for about five verses. You've probably read it before. If not, I'd encourage you to read that. But you can feel it. Any of you who have struggled with like sin in your life, and this is post-conversion Paul. This is a saved Paul still dealing with his sinful flesh, still feeling anger, still feeling lust, still feeling things in his, in his, in his bones that he doesn't want. He wants to follow God, and he feels in himself. He actually calls it another man. He says, I feel like a divided man. And he ends up, in verse 24, he says, wretched man that I am. He calls himself wretched. That's like a, a Greek word for this stinks, you know? Like, I, I'm so frustrated with myself. How many of you have been there? Like, you're, you're tired of struggling with your flesh and of continuing falling back into those pits that you thought you had figured out a long time ago. And with all your willpower and all your motivation, you said, I'll never go back to that pit. I'm going to put safeguards in place. I'm going I'm I'm to do it all just right. Back in the pit. And you're just like Paul, wretched man that I am. And he even says, who, who will deliver me from this body of death? Look at verse 24. Who will deliver me from this body of death? His answer right after that is not, I got the plan. It's five steps. It's 12 steps. First, I need to forgive myself. Then I got to go say sorry to others. No, what's the answer? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then he goes into chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He goes back to the cross, back to the truth that he's not condemned before God anymore. Christ has forgiven him. Even though he still struggles with his flesh, he stands confident in the cross. He goes back to the gospel. And for the next, the entire of chapter 8 is him just claiming the gospel over and over again. He says, yeah, I still, I still am weakened by my sinful nature, but God has done what the law couldn't do. He's made me new. And, and verse 11, if the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead and, and he dwells in me, he's going to give life to my mortal body, my flesh that I struggle with. The Holy Spirit is going to give life to me. And then he says, verse 12, we're not, so we're not debtors to our sinful flesh. We're debtors to God. And if by the, by the Spirit we put to death the flesh, we'll actually find life. Through the Holy Spirit we'll do it. And then he goes on to say, we're not, we're not, we don't have to live in fear. We, we can call God Abba Father. He's our dad. We can climb up right into his lap because we've been cleansed by the cross. And we don't have to live in fear of our flesh anymore. We can be confident that God has cleaned us up. And then he goes on the rest of chapter 8. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Can heights, can depths. I mean, all of the beautiful promises of chapter 8 that we love, guess why Paul is claiming them all? Because he's frustrated with his flesh. He goes back to the gospel and he claims what's his in Christ. The answer of getting rid of your frustration with your own flesh, of your own sanctification, is not running to a bunch of to-do lists. The answer is going back to the cross, going back to the gospel, trusting in the Jesus that can, can sanctify you again. You need, a, you need a redeemer just as much, as much for your sanctification as you did for your salvation. You could not have saved yourself with performance. You can't sanctify yourself with performance. I'm not saying there's not a place for holy effort of putting yourself in dependency on God in prayer, in fasting, in studying the scriptures, the things that put us before the feet of Jesus, these, these practical spiritual disciplines. These are good things. I'm not saying you shouldn't do anything. There's good things we can do to put ourselves before God. But we put ourselves before God, our Savior. We don't put ourselves before our own strength. You get what I'm saying? You understand the distance, the, the difference? So gospel-centered discipleship at its core, it believes the gospel sufficient. As you're discipling others, as you're pouring into them, you're not trying to teach them advanced algebra as a means of sanctification. You're trying to teach them basics, 101. 
you know, math, in addition and subtraction, going back to the gospel. That's where freedom is found. Um, brings us to number two. Uh, gospel-centered discipleship views Jesus as Lord. I love this part of Dodson's book. He, he basically says there's two big realities we have to understand about Jesus. Number one, Jesus is the king. He is the uh, ruler, the sovereign ruler, the king over creation, which means he's worthy of our obedience. So like, yeah, he died for us on the cross. That doesn't mean we get to live however we want. He's the king. We obey him. What he says goes. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Viewing Jesus as king. It also means viewing Jesus as Christ, the Messiah. So write those two things down there. Viewing Jesus as Lord means seeing him as both king and as Christ. He's the ruler and he's the savior. If you lose sight of either of those, if you forget that Jesus is the ruler, you'll fall into licentiousness. You'll live out a life of whatever you want to do because Jesus has died on the cross, so I can do whatever I want. You might be discipling people and, and seeing them claiming the grace of God as a free pass for them to go live in sin. And that's, that's not gospel-centered discipleship. It views Jesus as king, but also as Christ. When you f- He's sufficient for your failures. When you fall short, even as you're trying to be sanctified, He's still there as your Redeemer to clean you up. Um, so that's number two. And then number three, gospel-centered discipleship pursues missional holiness. So the goal as we disciple people, what we're seeking to create is not just people who will go on mission and evangelize others and not just people who will be pious and holy and perfect themselves. This is where we want to be. Gospel-centered discipleship is, is running towards Jesus with, yeah, we want to grow in holiness. We also want to grow in mission. A church that is really holy but you never see anybody coming to Christ, that's called a bunch of Pharisees, and it's going to die. The mission of God will not go forth if, if people are just holy. We're not called to just be holy. We're called to replicate, to see God advance. But some people think the only purpose of God is to do mission. It, it's not. It's both. It's growing in our own holiness as we, as we serve others. So missional holiness is what we'd call that. And I think um, the best place where we see this, if you have your Dodson book, let me just read you one little quote here which I think sums this all up, and then I'm going to let you discuss your questions. We're landing. We're landing the plan, though. I told you I could do it. Chapter, um, sorry, not chapter, page 39. That's where I'd love for you to start. So we start, actually, page 38, we're going to start the bottom of that page, three lines up, what I was missing, is what he's saying. He's talking about he, he found himself as, as an adult still struggling with sin. He was trying to figure out what's wrong with him. And he says this, What I was missing was not a new set of relationships to usher me into Christian matur- maturity with a discipler or an accountability partner, but rather a deep understanding of the gospel of grace. What I needed was a deeper comprehension of the cross and the resurrection. I needed to know that Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient not just for pre-Christian failures, but for post-Christian lifelong failures. Jesus died to set me free from judgment by embracing my judgment on the cross. Riddled with guilt and sin and a dichotomous view of discipleship, I could not grasp the freeing forgiveness purchased for me at the cross of Christ. I think that is one of the most profound statements that is so prolific in our churches. I think most people do not grasp the freeing forgiveness purchased for you at the cross of Christ. I think you, I'm telling you right now as one of your pastors, I think you have not fully grasped the freeing forgiveness that Jesus has purchased for you on the cross. And I think it would merit every hour you spend trying to understand that more. So few of us get that. Unaware of my union with Christ, he continues, his enduring approval seemed like something I had to regain. How many of us feel that? We have to regain God's approval of us. I did not grasp the present tense power of a Jesus who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Uh, Hop down to the uh, middle of that last paragraph. He says, at every failure, I concluded I needed to work harder get better accountability, perhaps find a stronger discipler. What I did not know is that discipleship is not performance-based. What I needed is what all of us need, continual belief in the depth of God's forgiveness and the resilience of His genuine approval in Christ. Underline that, highlight it, circle it, reread this part of the book a hundred times. That is everything that that is the center of this book. Understanding that, that 
Performance is not what's going to make us better before God, finally get us to holiness. It's trusting in the gospel. Uh, he, he finishes up that page with a quote from Bonhoeffer that says this, When a man really gives up trying to make something out of himself, a saint or converted sinner or a churchman or a righteous or unrighteous man, when in the fullness of tasks, questions, successes, or ill hap, experiences and perplexities, a man throws himself in the arms of God, then he wakes in Christ. And that is so true. And that's the heart that we're getting at. So with that, you've got nine minutes until we let Bo bring us home. So a um, few questions here. Question one might be uh, beneficial for you, but I'd really love for you to get to question two and especially question three. So take a few minutes, talk with the person next to you or a few people around you, um, talk about these questions, and then we'll jump into the last part. All right, y'all, you ready to get started? No? All right. Well, ding, 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 ding. We'll make them answer it publicly. How about that? Okay, cool. All right. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I hear, I hear him. That's my kid crying. I better go. Uh, it, yeah. Uh, so uh, I mentioned this last week, and Brian mentioned this a little bit tonight, but I, I think it bears repeating. Uh, so as a disciple, if you follow Christ, if you claim to love him, serve him, I want to be like him. Uh, one of the things that I cannot impress enough, because I think it's been impressed upon me, is that our good, solid, rich theological books um, and good, solid, practical books that help us follow Jesus closely, are, are those good? Are those beneficial? Yes, absolutely they are. Are they the ultimate authority in our life as a Christian? Absolutely not. Uh, so Brian and I were talking about uh, this a minute ago. Uh, I don't know how we got on the topic of John Piper, but we were talking about him a minute ago, and it actually reminded me of another story. One of my one of my really good friends, uh, he he told me the the first time that he met John Piper, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is fantastic because this is exactly the point that I was going to convey here. And uh, he he got to go backstage at a conference and, and go meet him, and uh, uh, they, they were talking about something, and uh, my buddy. Uh, was a uh, very young, uh, very ignorant pastor at the time, and he goes, oh my gosh, let me tell you what I'm reading. I'm reading this book. I'm reading that book. I'm reading this. And Piper looks at him and goes, <clears throat> son, that is fantastic, but don't forget to read your Bible. And so being rebuked by John Piper is really fun. So I, I want to rebuke you all in the same vein and say, don't forget to read your Bible. <laughs> I mean, because I, I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in this and focus on the practicality, but don't forget the gospel. That, I mean... The word of the Lord is sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the power to change us, uh, divide bone and marrow. So, uh, again, I just want to start it off with that caveat. So, uh, starting here again tonight. So, Brian kind of talked a little bit about um, discipleship and specifically how that plays out in our church, how it plays out in our life. Uh, but now, what, what, what is, let's transition over to the goal of discipleship because you know we talked a lot about the function so now what's the point of it all what, what's the point so second uh, Corinthians 4 6 again tonight I'm gonna throw a bunch of scriptures at you I, I've got a ton of them in here so hope you don't have carpal tunnel because you might by the end of the night uh, so second Corinthians 4 6 says for God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the light to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So as Dodson puts it here, and specifically in chapter two, that's what I'm referencing here. Uh, he, he puts it like this. He says, everyone fights for something. Every single person. Second Corinthians 4, 6, it shows us that we can be consumed, we can be ra uh, ravished, we can be obsessed with the, the image of the glory of God through the face of Jesus Christ. So being a disciple of Christ is centered around imaging Christ. You mentioned this earlier. So being a disciple is centered around being, looking like, mirroring, imaging Christ. So Genesis 1, 26, 28, that makes it clear. We as humans, we are formed in the image of God. Additionally, Romans 5, 
12 through 14, it makes it clear that we desperately need to be renewed. We need to be made anew in Christ. So those are two different things, right? So if both of those scriptures are true simultaneously, and as we believe, we, they don't contradict each other, but they're simultaneously true, what's the deal? Right, what, what is, uh, and this is kind of what I would call one of those already but not yet type scenarios. Um, so if we're formed in the image of God, uh, but yet we still need to be made anew, that means that we are responsible for ruining our own image. That's the bad news, right? There's no one else to blame uh, because God didn't get it wrong. We got it wrong. We're the ones that sinned and screwed up the image part, right? So, uh, Again, going back to the way that the, the author positions this here, uh, Dodson articulates it this way. He says we have an image problem. That's the way he puts it. And that's evidenced by the fact that we are always fighting for something and we're always fighting to obtain a particular image. Every single one of us in this room, no matter who we are, we all desire to have a particular image. All of us do. So be brutally honest with yourself as you're searching your heart here uh, and, and think about this. How in the world do you want to be portrayed and perceived by others? What do you want other people to think when they look at you, when they hear you talk, when they see your posts on social media? What, what is it that you want them to think about you? Do you find your yourself constantly obsessing over the fact that you need to make yourself appear in just the right manner? Do you need to make yourself appear in just the right light with just the right filter so that you make sure that they think this certain thing about you? Or maybe it's not that at all. Maybe it's um, a little bit more heady and, and you're the type of person that needs to be viewed as, I don't know, maybe the smartest person in the room or maybe I, I need this person to know that I know a lot about this topic. I don't know what it is for you. I have no idea. But I can guarantee you that every single one of us all have sinful hearts and we all want to fight for a certain image. So to sum this, this whole statement up, I would say it this way. We all want to present ourselves in a certain manner so that we're perceived in a very specific way by others. And in turn, that then allows us to achieve a feeling about ourselves that we're striving so hard to obtain. So it's a, we, we figured this formula out, right? We, we want to present ourselves in a certain manner so that we're perceived in a very specific way. So in turn, that then allows us to achieve this feeling about ourselves that we're striving so hard to obtain. And as Brian and I were mentioning a minute ago, this is readily available literally at our fingertips with the simple click of an Instagram post. You can have all of this in seconds because you can have people view it a certain way. You can have that feeling about yourself that you're striving for. So you see, we all fight for so something. So if we flip this around a little bit and we can say it a little bit of a different way, uh, we can say it like this, whatever we hold in highest regard, that's what we wanna be like. Think about your, your friends, the people that you hang around. Think about the things that you like to do. Um, <clears throat> Lord willing, they are God-given desires, but simultaneously, I would be willing to bet that you want to be like your friends that you're around. You want to be like that thing you enjoy doing. Whatever it is, and this is the way that Dodson puts it, we become what we behold. I, I, I unashamedly love that language because I think it's this fundamental truth here for us all that we really do become what we behold. And so the, there's a problem with this because we're going to become what we behold, even if it's the wrong thing. So we need to be made anew. We need to be restored in Christ. But if we want to be restored in the wrong way, that's where the problem comes in, right? So our sinful hearts, they, they also desire this, I'll say a distorted image at times, but for a, a disciple of Jesus, it's, it's completely different, right? A disciple of Christ is one who actually desires to begin to image Jesus and not a distorted image. And we see that's true in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Um, <clears throat> Paul writes this, he says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of 
of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Yes, we see that it's true that we need to be restored and made new by beholding the glory of the Lord specifically. But we also see there how it's done. How is it done? Did you catch it at the end? Who does, who does the work? Yes, the Holy Spirit does the work. <clears throat> Consider this with me for a moment. A disciple loves the Lord, right? Those who love the Lord, they treasure, they worship, and they want to become more like Jesus. And those who have the knowledge of truth about Jesus only received it from the Holy Spirit, right? So then if we turn around and we go the other way, we can say the Holy Spirit, if you're a disciple of Christ, it says the scripture tells us the Spirit lives within you, it indwells you. So the Holy Spirit points you to Jesus. And if you know, love, worship, serve Jesus, Jesus then points you to God the Father, right? That, that is... I'll say the process of discipleship. So a true disciple relies upon the Holy Spirit. Um, <clears throat> and when we rely on the Holy Spirit, we're able to do something very, very specific. And that is to fight for our faith, to change our image, to become more like Jesus. So it's, it's very interesting language here, um, but we're able to fight. Uh, some of you may have read scriptures here about uh, fighting for your faith. We'll get to that here in a minute. Um, but before we get there, I, I want to kind of address a topic. So, because Brian mentioned this earlier, um, that we, we, we lean into uh, the work that Christ has done because that's why we call it the finished work. We can't add anything to it. His life, death, and resurrection, that, that's done. We can't add, a, we can't say gospel plus, I got something else to contribute. No, we, it, that's done. It's, it's signed, sealed, delivered. It's finished. But simultaneously, I'm up here saying that we can fight for our image. So if you're asking, well, Bo, if you're saying that Christ's work is finished and we can fight for our image to be like Christ, which one is it? I mean, it's got to be one of them, right? Which one is it? Well, as we saw about our comparison between discipleship and evangelism, the answer is yes. It's not one or the other. And props to Brian for using the word dichotomy for the second week in a row after I used it last week. Good call. We're like an SAT class. Yes. We like $5 words here. Thank you very much. Uh, so we're, we're literally called to rely upon the Holy Spirit, but we're also told to fight. It's a both-and scenario. Back to that comment that I made earlier. It's kind of one of those already but not yet type things. Uh, so how, how do these two things fit together about uh, trusting in the finished work of Christ, but simultaneously about fighting for your image in Christ? So let's consider the word fight for a moment. I told you last week it wouldn't be a... Fun week unless we did a word study. Well, here you go. Here's your word study. When I say fight and you say fight, I want to know that we're talking about the same fight, right? Are we talking about like the Mike Tyson game from back in the day? Are we talking like fight club? What do we mean when we say fight? So fight. It, uh, in the New Testament, the Greek primary word is the word agonizo. And you can guess what the word here is in our modern day language. It is agonize. That is right. So variations of this word, of the root word. Specifically, they can mean a couple of different things depending upon the context and how it's used and um, what is added to the root. So it can mean militarily fighting, such as waging war or warfare. Um, and it can also be used as an athletic term, specifically with boxing, interesting enough. <clears throat> but regardless of the specific scenario, the cool thing about the word fight here in scripture is that every single time that it's used, it's involved with an active acting action. Every single time. So it's an acting, active action. So in our context, for a disciple, so we're going to say this. To fight means to contend or struggle with difficulties and dangers antagonistic to the gospel. I'll say that again. So when we fight, we, we mean that we are contending or we're struggling with difficulties or dangers antagonistic to the gospel. So a few examples of this where we see this type of verbi verbiage used over and over in Scripture. 1 Timothy 4.10, uh, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. 2 Timothy 4.7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Uh, 1 Timothy 18, or 1, 18 and 19, 
uh, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith. So practically speaking, biblically fighting means that we spiritually contend to believe the truth of the gospel. So as, as disciples, we fight, we toil, we strive to believe that Jesus' perfect life, that Jesus' sacrificial death, that Jesus' glorious resurrection, that that's our life, that that is our death, and that is our resurrection because he has lived that on our behalf if we claim to follow him and we are in Christ. So that means we also then fight against the temptation to rely on our own work to provide our own image. So Brian hit on this a little bit ago. And we want to not depend on our own work to provide our own image. Because as Romans 5 makes very, very clear, we screwed it up. We need to be restored. We need to be made new. I like the way that, that Dodson puts this. Uh, if Jump over to page 59 with me. I really, really like the way he puts this here. It is. Page 59, it's the uh, second full paragraph. He says this, he writes, Sin lies to us. We need to get in the habit of talking back with the truth. Instead of expressing faith in the lies of sin, we need to have faith in the truth of the gospel. The gospel is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is the heartwarming, mind-renewing truth that the image of the glory of God in the complexion of Jesus is all we need to be truly satisfied, complete, and accepted. We receive it by faith over and over again. When we labor to look at Jesus, we begin to look like him, to be transformed into his image. This is why the fight of faith is so important. It is based on the truth and it truly changes us. Although the fight of faith is humbling and hard, it is worth it. It is a good and glorious fight. So that being said, let me leave you with a a few concluding thoughts uh, for tonight as we wrap this up and we jump into a a couple more questions here. And and let me be very clear that Scripture does not call us to fight for an image that mirrors Christ through a type of scorecard-based performance. It's not like you get to the end of a 10-round fight and you lost it by decision because of that crucial ninth round. That's not how discipleship works. That is not it at all. No, no we, we fight by making Jesus our focus over and over and over again in all we say and all we do. Brian hit on this earlier. Romans 8, there's, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. And Simultaneously, I also want to make this very clear. Just like you cannot fly a plane by flapping your own arms, you cannot obtain the image of Christ by your own performance. It can't be done. Back to Galatians 3, 2 through 3, when Paul says, Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Have you, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the faith? No. It is not about performance. It is about ultimately being transformed by the gospel. So there's this freedom. There's this freedom that comes from from knowing that as we fight, it is not in vain. There's this freedom that happens when we fight for the image of Christ that we can truly rely on the perfect work that Jesus has already done on our behalf. So we should feel some sense of relief, right? We should be able to sit back and take a big deep breath and say, I can trust in what Jesus has done. That frees me to be able to fight to be more like him. So we fight by the power of the Spirit, clinging to the promises of Scripture. And clinging to the promises of Scripture is just another way to say believing the gospel. That's all it is. So to close out our time before we get into the questions, let me give you this final encouragement really quick. That as a disciple... As we fight to believe that Jesus is more satisfying than anything else. And to say it another way, as discipleship, it is a constant, constant struggle to fight for the image. 
for that we desire, which is ultimately that we will behold what we will become. So, questions? We've got a couple of them. You've got time to get through all three of them. How about that? Three, two, one, go. All right, guys, we're going to pull you back from your groups and pray. But before we do, any questions? We have sort of let you discuss in groups, but I know we covered both last week and this week quite a bit of content. Um, so, and this is all, again, every week builds. We're, we're headed somewhere with all this, so we hope you keep coming back. But any questions about what we covered, anything that was not clear uh, or comments? That do you have any recommendations on how to make sure that you're fighting for the good fight instead of just picking fights? You know, I don't know if that makes sense. But you know, as a, as a believer, depending on your situations, some, you know, it says I, I fought the good fight, right? I've kept the faith, I've finished. Right? So in that, in making sure, maybe having some accountability people around you to just make sure that, you're, that you are, are fighting the good fight, not just a fight that is a chip on your shoulder because of our sin nature that you want to be perceived, going back to your image, of fighting a good fight. Yeah, I think I think you gave your answer as you were saying yeah. with yeah. other people around you, and we we'll get to that. That's week uh, week five, really. Yeah. But um, the importance of community and, and having other believers around you, and um, you know, there's there's the top down discipleship approach where you have like the spiritual saint who's discipling the children, but. And sometimes you have that, but but very often it's necessary to have brothers, other other people who you can be really vulnerable with, and share your own. This I'm dealing with this issue. I don't know how to. I don't know what's. Should I fight this one? Should I not? You know, those having people, other godly people around you to give wisdom in those moments is big. Yeah, you know, with you and your background, I would stretch and say this: Is there any such thing as an individual sport? No, not really. Um, even with wrestling, boxing, anything like that, there is a team of people involved in it. The same is true. The same principle is true as we follow Christ. The only way that we can actually follow Christ and succeed is if we have people around us that encourage us, spur us on uh, to follow Christ closely, be in, that actually inspire us as we watch them follow Christ. Um, those are the ways that we are able to get in relationships with other people that are like, oh my gosh, that guy's following Christ like crazy. I need to follow him on because I want to be like him. Because ultimately I want to be like Christ. So uh, I, I think that ultimately it really does come down into being deeply involved in a gospel community. Deeply. And I mean truly. And I, just personal preference, but the example that you gave a minute ago, that there are there is a time and a place for the the, the um, how did you put it? The um, uh, person that is uh, ma the mature saint distributing knowledge um, to everyone else um, because they've lived longer and seen more. There's a time and a place for that. Uh, but simultaneously, I think that the majority of transformation happens when we're able to see that, man, I'm fighting. Are you fighting too? Right, I I'm fighting for this. I'm, uh, oh, you didn't fight? Well, let me encourage you. Right, so I think that's, that's the most practical thing that I can say. Yeah, and I think also remembering like we will fight till the end. Like like we we, your sinful nature is not going away. Um, that some of the best sermons ever. You want to study what we talked about tonight, sanctification through the gospel. You want to study more deeply. John Piper preached six sermons on Romans chapter seven, that last part that we talked about briefly. Like I don't even know how you stretch that into six sermons, but John Piper can do it. They're gold, and they're, they're all called Who is This Divided Man is the sermon title. Part one, part two, part three, part four, part five, part six. He just like went on this riff at his church for a month and a half on that section. But it's so good at pointing out the fact that like we need people around us because we're going to be fighting till we die. Our sinful flesh goes away in heaven when we finally can rest. But like we'll be in this for a while, so... We're going to talk more about those specifics as we go. And i got to tack on. Sorry, I have to tack on since you said this, too. That Paul even warns against not fighting. Yeah. Right? I mean, he talks about grumbling, complaining, complaining, murmur, murmur, murmur. Uh, that That's not what we're called to as we follow Christ. Actually, that's, that's sin. <laughs> and so we're, we're clearly called to fight. So, Pray for us, Bo. Absolutely. God, uh, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for allowing us to be here and not to just learn more knowledge about you and um, read some really good stuff, but rather, God, thank you for 
drawing every person in this room in some form, in some fashion, to you by the power of your spirit, Lord. May, um, may we believe the gospel. May we know it deeply. May it resonate in our hearts. God, we ask and beg that you change every single one of us to be made into the image of you, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.